Well, good morning. Well, good morning. My name is Andy, and I'm one of the pastors here this morning. It's a pleasure to bring you God's Word. We are going through a vision series. You know, once a year, we uh, take a, a few weeks to talk about a vision, the vision of Trinity Park Church, and we want it to be a reminder to all of you, you know, the very purpose of our church and what we stand for. And so last week, you know, we talked about proclaiming Christ, proclaiming Christ. It's an important element. It's an important aspect of our vision. And this morning, this morning, we're going to talk about redemptive community. So Trinity Park exists to proclaim Christ in redemptive community among neighbors and nations. What does that mean? So we'll dive into redemptive community this morning. So when I graduated from seminary in 2011, and I was fresh out of college, uh, sorry, not college, seminary. And uh, God led us, you know, my wife and I, Amanda, to, um, to, a, li- to a little small church uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So it's a small Chinese church that I was called to serve there. And that church was in the process of joining the PCA. So um, for someone like me coming out of seminary, you feel like, I felt like, you know, I was ready to to serve, ready to conquer the world, so to speak, you know, that I'm full with all the knowledge that I need, and I'm ready to serve as a pastor. And so I was called into this small church in Philadelphia, and I would say that was a really humbling experience. It was really hard uh, for us as we learned to adjust to live in a big city, because we were moving out of Mississippi, and uh, it was hard to live in a city you know, it's hard to work in a different culture, too, as um, we're coming into a, a predominantly Chinese church to serve. And then also figuring out how to serve well. And that was really hard to, to navigate through all of these things. But while the job was hard, I think what, what st- stuck out most for us, I think what was most difficult was definitely the lack of community. You know, we, we didn't have any family members in Philadelphia. We didn't know anyone. We just moved there, right? And so we're starting life together. That was really hard. We didn't know a lot of people. We didn't, you know, while, while our relationship was great with the church, but yet we find ourselves um, lacking in, in, in really friendship because we didn't have people within our age. You know, it's either the first generation who are a little older or, or the kids that I'm called to serve. So it's really hard to find community. And on top of that, too, we were living in a Jewish neighborhood, okay? So we lived next to a synagogue and in this apartment and surrounded by all these homes. So obviously, during Sabbath, we were really, uh, we, everywhere we go and on, on Sabbath, we're the only ones driving on Sabbath. And so everyone was walking. And every time we passed by somebody, you know, they gave us this terrible look, you know, this awkward look, say, what are you doing? You know, why are you Sabbath breakers? And so it's really hard for us to try to build any communities around us or at church. And that was the biggest thing for us. You know, we're struggling for community. And after four years of labor, we, you know, decided to move on and we found Trinity Park Church in North Carolina. And so we, you know, interviewed and and we eventually got the the Lord led us to Trinity Park, and immediately when we came to Trinity Park, everything about Trinity Park was opposite of what we felt in my former church. 
You know, we went from a place of zero community to a place of, of a lot of communities around us, you know, abundance of community. And, and this community was there for us right at the beginning when we first arrived, you know, when we experienced um, a moment of family situation in our lives and we were really grateful for the community that surrounded us and cared for us and prayed for us and, and supported us through, through this tough time. And so and I say all this as a way to highlight the importance of community. You know, community is for us, and also community, I'm sure, it's important for you as well. You know, most of us here are transplants. Most of us don't have family members here. And so when you move to a place like this where you have no one around you, you don't know anyone, let me ask you a question then. Where do you go for community? Where do you, who do you seek for community? You know, for some people, maybe, you know, some of us have done well. Perhaps, you know, we have um, a Y membership. You know, maybe we get some friends there to hang out and, and to, you know, play and, and fellowship together. Or perhaps some of us may participate in some meetup groups, right, of various activities. And so we find a community there. And also others, perhaps, you know, you have kids who play sports, and so you hang out with some of the parents as well. So that's great. These are great opportunities for communities. I want to continue to encourage you to do that. But at the same time, we know, too, as believers, you know, there is a community that is greater than all these other communities around us, you know, and that is a redemptive community. We all, as believers, need a redemptive community. Now, you may be asking, what is a redemptive community? You know, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to explain, obviously. And so I want to walk with you through this morning by going through three questions. You know, first, we're going to talk about what is redemptive community. And secondly, we're going to talk about how does a redemptive community look like. And then third, how do we get there? All right, so what is a redemptive community? Now, to answer this question, what is a redemptive community, we basically need to understand what is redemption. And redemption is one of those words that could mean different things for different people. And it's also one of those words that um, you know, you've heard a lot about. And sometimes, you know, it's been overused and perhaps even lost its weightiness. If you watch movies a lot, you know, you see that a lot of times, you know, Hollywood loves a great redemptive story. You know, you see how redemption is often portrayed from a standpoint of a hero who went through tough times, who went through struggles, who went through hardships, who went through brokenness, right? And then what happens? And then he, he realizes that, he realizes his difficulties, his struggles, and then he strives. He strives hard to rise up to the occasion. You know, you see stories like Rocky, for example, right? You know, a feel-good story like Rocky, you know, went through hardships, went through struggles, saw his friend died, and then rise to the occasion after that. And so we see redemption in this point where a lot of times, you know, it's, it's something that we conjure up our own redemption, that we figure it out, that we strive hard so that we can redeem ourselves. You see this theme over and over again throughout movies in, in, in our world today. But the, point, the difference is that the Christian understanding of redemption 
is very different. You know, Christian understanding of redemption does not depend on us, but instead on someone else. You know, we all encounter struggles, hardships. We all go through a tough time. But sometimes we may not have the ability. We may not have the ability to pull ourselves out of our situation. Why? Because sometimes the problem is bigger than what we can overcome. You know, in Christianity, we are not the hero in the redemption story because we all have a bigger problem, you know, a bigger obstacle, a bigger enemy than any of us can overcome. As you look at Ephesians 2 here, it describes our predicament. And as Paul directed his message to the Gentiles in verse 11 and 12, he's also speaking to all of us. You know, he said in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know, Paul made it clear that the problem for all of us was separation from God, alienation from each other, and hopelessness in our situation. And all this happens because of sin. Sin did all of that. Sin drove a wedge in our relationship between God and between each other. And so we are without hope in any way to fix any of this. There is no way we can be the hero in this story because there's no way we can fix this. And so we see the basic understanding, the true understanding of redemption based on our Christian belief is this, that we are utterly hopeless in our helpless state and we desperately need someone to redeem us. We need a true hero. And this hero, as Paul tells us, is Christ. You know, verse 13, look at this with me. Verse 13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, Jesus secures our relationship with God through his death. How? Well, Paul elaborates further in verse 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, I know it's a lot of words in there, but what does this all mean? Here's what it means. What this means is that through the death of Jesus Christ, we are brought near to God and to each other through the breaking down of a barrier, this wall, of this wall that, that separated us as a result of sin. Jesus did this by abolishing the law of the commandment expressed in ordinances. This means that, that Jesus lived a sinless life fulfilling all the commandments of God and he fulfilled all of it perfectly for you because you were unable to do so. So Jesus lived a sinless life fulfilling this law and it did such a way as well with the ceremonial law. You, know, you think about it in the Old Testament 
You know, God gave us commandments. God gave them a commandment to follow and obey. And obviously, people don't obey. And as a result, there's another law, the ceremonial law, that calls them to perform rituals so that they could be forgiven by God. But what Jesus did is incredible, right? He fulfilled the commandments, the Ten Commandments that we were not able to fulfill. And then on top of that, he also abolished the ceremonial laws which were required for sinners like you and I to fulfill whenever we sin. So he did away with that. He fulfilled one and he did away with one. And therefore, Jesus was able to bring peace together for us. Now, he's able to bring that peace that was the divide, with the dividing wall of hostility that, that separates us. Jesus was able to bring peace when he fulfilled all these laws for us. And so as such, his sacrifice brought this, this reconciliation between us and God and also between each other. You know, you and I, who perhaps may have been separated by, by hostility, by, you know, anger, by frustration, by everything that separated us. That's what humans do sometimes. You know, we hate each other. But Jesus has died for all of that. Jesus has broken down every single wall of hostility between God and us and between each other. So what, that's, what that means is that there is now no walls, no separation between us and God, between each other, between each other as brothers and sisters. There is no wall. Think about that. And so as you think about this, what, what is a redemptive community? Right? By summarizing all that I've just explained, it means a community then that is centered on redemption. It is a community that is focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a community marked by the grace of God. And at Trinity Park, you know, we aim to be a church right from the beginning of our inception, to be a church that is centered on redemption, to know that we can't fix ourselves, that we, we all have problems in our lives, that we all have struggles. We all have sin in our lives that we cannot fix ourselves, that only Jesus can do so because he has come to redeem us. And that is the center that we focus on, on the redemptive work of Christ. Because without it, we have no hope of worshiping together. We have no hope of sitting next to each other right now, worshiping together, worshiping our God. We certainly have no hope in seeking to do life together as believers because we will still be living in hostility with each other. And so think about what the redemptive work of Christ has done for us. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And this is so crucial for us. Every single wall that we have erected, Jesus has broken down all of that so that we can now have peace with God and peace with each other. And so that is what a redemptive community looks like. Uh, that is what redemptive community is. Now, what does it look like? Now, verse 19 to 22 said, you know, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself being a cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are also being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what again, what this means is that Christ's redemptive work brought us peace together with God, peace with each other. So Paul now reminded the Gentiles that you have been reconciled to God and you are now different from the past. You know, the peace that united them together, that brought them together, that reconciled them together, right, now brings them into this new identification. They have been now given new identities in Christ. And if this is true for the Gentiles, it is also true for all of us who are in Christ. Peace of God has brought us new identities. And the first thing that Paul talks about, the first identification is citizenship. Previously, you were an outcast, a refugee outside of God's kingdom. But now, through Christ, you are a welcome citizen in his kingdom. You know, I was born in Malaysia, and I grew up in Malaysia. And though I was a citizen of the country, I do not always live like a true citizen. You know, there are three predominant races in Malaysia, the Malays, Chinese, and Indians. You know, the Malays are the natives who are also the Muslims, and the Chinese are those who, who, who migrated to the country during the early 19th century and continue to do so in, in, um, in, during the World War II. And then the Indians, who came mostly as slaves uh, during the British colonization. So when you come to Malaysia, when you live in Malaysia, you live among the three races, right? And so for me as a Chinese living in Malaysia, I do not always feel like I belong there. You know, we sometimes find ourselves living as second-class citizens because of discrimination and favoritism. You know, we do not enjoy the same kind of benefits and freedom as opposed to the Malays, to the Muslims who live there. But yet, you know, you see the difference between a kingdom like Malaysia or any other country in this world, or even in the United States. The kingdom between these earthly nations and the kingdom of God is completely different. Because in God's kingdom, there are no second-class citizens. Paul made it clear to the Gentiles, they are full members, just like their Jewish brothers, enjoying all the privileges and the benefits from God who rule with equity and justice over all his people. In Christ, we are all equal in his kingdom. And the second identity marker that Paul talks about is you are not only citizens, but also family members of God. The second identity hits a more personal note. So I want you to imagine. Imagine Jews and Gentiles as citizens in God's kingdom. Sure, right? Imagine Jews and Gentiles as family members. That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Think about how much they hate each other, how much they want to kill each other. But this is such a stunning declaration from Paul that in Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles are not only citizens, but also family members. You know, it's one thing to live together, right, in, in a country, right? But another, to live together as a family member, that you call each other brothers and sisters, that you are my family. Think about how stunning this declaration is. And this also applies to all other groups as well as all other groups today. You know, you think about what this means too, that believing Palestinians 
and Israelis are what? Families. Koreans and Japanese are families. And all other groups that historically hated each other are now a family of God. You know, as Christians, we are a family of God regardless of how we look, where do we come from, what we used to believe. We all have access to the same Father, right? As Paul said, we are all sons and daughters living together as a body. And what do families do? We're not a strange family. You know, families live together. They play together. They eat together. They pray together. They love each other. Think of that for a moment. Think of what it means for, for that to happen in, in our church or perhaps even in, in, our, in our own interaction with other fellow members or fellow Christians in our lives. Think about what that means, especially for people who may not look the same as you, but yet are a fellow Christian. In Christ, in Christ, we are a redemptive body, and that means that we are family. It's not, just, it's not enough just to be citizens where we all live together in God's kingdom. It's not, just, it's not enough where we, you know, as Christians, just come together to worship God under the same roof. But we're called to be a family, called to live together, called to support each other, called to pray for each other, called to do life together. That's what families do. And that's what God is calling us. That's what Paul is calling us to do, to come together, to do that. And the reason we can do that is because Jesus has broken down that dividing wall of hostility. We are one in him. And then third, Paul brings that home further. You know, Paul talks about being joined together, growing together as a structure where Christ is the cornerstone. Believers not only share the same identity in Christ, but now are called to do life together so that they will spur each other to growth. You know, what this means is that we all need each other when we come together on Sunday morning, when we worship in, in another church. You know, if God calls you to another place where you are connected to another church, God calls you to do life there. God calls you to live together where we support each other, where we need each other. Every man counts. We all have responsibilities and gifts and talents that when we come together, we use it to serve each other. And so if you think about all of these, the implication of all of these things means that the church is more than just a building where we come every now and then, where we come to visit every now and then, or we drop a tip whenever we have feel like it. The church is much more than that. The church is the family where we grow and learn together, building each other up and pointing each other to Christ, our cornerstone. Christ is the head, is the cornerstone over the entire structure. And we are all part of that structure, supporting that, that structure. You know, while we believe that Christ has brought... Christ's redemption has brought us new identities. But God is continuously transforming us, right? We recognize that because of that, you know, we are living in the in-between. We are still living in a broken world full of sufferings and full of temptations. We live in a body that is not yet perfected, so we are susceptible to temptations and weaknesses. And taking all these into consideration, 
you know, the redemptive community, while it's meant to be a citizen for Christians, right, if it's meant to be a family, we also know that sometimes the redemptive community can be quite messy. You know, we see this played out in churches, in all churches, perhaps. You know, we are a mess sometimes because of the circumstances that is beyond our control. A mess because of our own sin. Sometimes we fail at things, and sometimes we hurt people around us. We're a messy people who sometimes may struggle with parenting, you know, struggle with our, in our marriage, struggle with habitual sins. And because of all these things, right, we may want to hide. We may want to pretend like everything is good when we come to church. But that is not what a redemptive community is. Remember, redemption teaches us that Jesus is the only one who can clean our mess. And so because of that, we can look to him. And because of that, we do not have to pretend that everything is good when it's not. We do not have to try to fix ourselves when we can't. We do not have to put on masks around people and to know that we can struggle. We can struggle but yet come before God. And that is what a redemptive community is. It's not a perfect community. It's a community that is messy sometimes. It's a community that we constantly need to look to Christ. You know, during our last leadership training here at Trinity Park, you know, we went around the table asking some questions, and one of the questions we asked was, what, what do we see God doing at Trinity Park? What do we see God currently doing at Trinity Park? Right? And many answers point to our church being a, a church, being a refuge for the broken and hurt, being a place that we can be genuine about who we are. And I love that. I love that we can be a, a place like that. We can be a haven for those who are struggling, those who need healing, those who, who are suffering and yet who need someone to hear them, someone who supports them. I love that we can be a place who cares for those who are struggling and for a place that we can actually have genuine conversations beyond all the surface things that are around us. And this is what a beautiful picture of a redemptive community. And I know that we are not a perfect church either. We all struggle still. I'm going to talk more about this and how do we get there. So how do we get there? And I suppose we need to understand that the getting there part is always a process and a journey. And it's always a process as long as we remain on this earth. We're constantly, you know, working towards that just like our own faith, you know, it's always a journey. We're always in this journey on earth until we are with God. And so in this journey, like I mentioned earlier, we will run into trouble as a community. We will have struggles. We will have conflict with each other. You know, think about the dynamics of our church, right? We know age, gender, socioeconomic status can bring divisions among any community, right? We think differently, you know, and prefer different things based on our age. Of course, you and I know that, that men and women are different, right, in how we think. 
And so think about all the arguments that happen within your own marriage. And at the same time, also, the rich and the poor, they have preferences. They have things that they do and, and like to do based on you know, their resources. But yet, as we look at our church, there are a few other components that we have to consider you know, when we look at the dynamics of our church. One of the things is multi-ethnicity. Think about that. You know, it's hard enough to have men and women thinking differently, right? And then we also have the component of culture. You know, culture sometimes can unite, but at the same time can also separate. You know, we are a multi-ethnic church of different various cultural backgrounds from different nations. We have first and second generation ethnic groups. You know, we have people who speak different language or several languages. We have people who were brought up from a different religion. These are things that could potentially separate us. And then another component that we're seeing more and more too is people with differing abilities, adults and children with disability or with special needs. Think about all these components and you put everything together. You put all these things together and then you put sin into it, right? We could have a potential recipe for disaster. You know, there, there's a reason why a lot of churches are comfortable in where they are, in the own people group that, where they are, because for the fear of being able to mix together, because it's hard. But of course, there are other reasons too, sometimes just because, you know, they, God has called them to where they are supposed to be, and there's no judgment there. But at the same time, for our church, we have intentionally made the decision right from the beginning to cross culture, to live in this multi-ethnic situation because this is where we are in the triangle, and the triangle is saturated with different people. So it makes sense for us to do that. But the question then is, how do we continue to stay on track? How do we continue to remain as a redemptive community despite of all the challenges? You know, one of the most important and often overlooked factor in our struggle with sin, with each other, is to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. And before you try to fix anything, one of the most important things is to look yourself in the mirror, perhaps, or to even take time away from, from the whole situation and meditate on this important factor. Meditate on your identity in Christ. Who are you in Christ? What has Christ done for you? You are a son. You are a daughter of God. Remember who you are in Christ as you struggle with sin, as you find yourselves in guilt, as you find yourselves in this conflict, remind yourselves who you are in Christ. That is perhaps the most important thing before you try to fix anything. Remind yourself who you are in Christ, that yes, we may have failed, we may have sinned against God, we may have sinned against each other, but we are still a child of God. And you still have a Father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, and calls you to repent, calls you to reconcile, calls you to make changes. But before you do any of that, remind yourselves who you are in Christ. Remind yourselves of your identity, that in Jesus Christ, he has broken down 
every single wall of hostility, every single wall that is out there. He has broken down everything. So ask yourselves, how dare we as his people continue to try to build up walls with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Think about the audacity that we're trying to do here if we continue to build up walls among our neighbors, among our brothers and sisters in Christ that Christ has broken down. There's no more walls between you and God. There are no more walls between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I love this article from Desiring God where the author said, the first step is to make sure that we all know that we are children of God as those who have been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that will enable us to get out of our bed in the morning and face the delight and despair of our world. This is the truth that will enable us to cope with success and failure without missing a step. And this is the truth that will set us up to walk humbly and confidently with Christ through, through the day and enable us to reflect on the day that has passed with repentance and faith. I love that. So the first thing is to remind yourselves, remind yourselves who you are in Christ. The second thing is we remind ourselves in our identity, another practical aspect in redemptive community is to live intentionally with each other. Now, this is a little hard sometimes. Now, sometimes it's easier for us to stick to what we know, stick to, to who we know, because we all like familiarity, right? We like things that, that are easy, things that are, you know, familiar to us. I get it. But consider the implication of what it will represent to our divided world, to our divided society, if Christians of various backgrounds, ethnicity, come together. You know, Tony Merida, in his commentary, posed this question. Could anything be more powerful before a lost world than to see people from all ethnicity united in Christ? You know, at Trinity Park, we have that opportunity. We have the opportunity here. We don't have to go far. We have the opportunity here. You know, God has brought each of you here for a reason. God has brought us here together and joined us together as one redemptive body for a reason. He has given us this opportunity, a glimpse of heaven. Call us to come together. And so let us not waste this gift, but instead let us learn to push ourselves a little. You know, I'm asking us to all examine ourselves to push ourselves a little. Take steps towards what is unfamiliar, towards what is uncomfortable, towards someone who may look different from you, towards someone who may behave different from you, towards someone, you know, who perhaps, you know, does not dress the way as you, does not talk the way as, as you talk. Let us not waste this gift, this this opportunity that God has given to us and let us push ourselves. Take small steps towards each other, towards what is unfamiliar. Get to know someone who you've, you don't know, which is probably easy because here at Trinity Park, everyone is new right now, right? So take this opportunity to get to know people. You know, move towards them. You think about the gospel. The gospel always calls us to move out, to move towards people. 
The gospel does not cause us to stand down and accept, but it calls us to move, to move out, to move towards people because Jesus himself moved towards us. And so let us take this, this opportunity to show a bit of intentional love towards each other, towards those who look different. And as Hebrews 10 tells us, you know, let us learn to consider how to stir up one another in love and in good works. And finally, as we learn to live intentionally, I do want to also point out this another important aspect of living together as redemptive community that is super important too. And this is living in grace with each other. You know, as you cross culture, as you dive into the unfamiliar territory, right, you're going to experience <laughs> very quickly, you know, that you may, you may start getting conflict. You may have misunderstanding. You know, you may have a lot of awkwardness because you are learning. You are trying to cross culture. You're trying to experience what is different. Sometimes you will step on each other's toes, right? Sometimes you have misunderstanding based on cultural difference. You know, sometimes you feel awkward or disappointed. These are all part of what I've said earlier, that we are all messy. A redemptive community sometimes is a messy community. But yet, when you think about all these conflicts and all these struggles, right, if we continue to learn to live in grace, it does not diminish conflict, but it helps us to cope better as believers. And then you think about it too, what family does not have conflict, right? You have conflict in your own family. I have conflicts in my own family. What family does not have conflict? And so if we know how to forgive our own biological family members, then we must learn to forgive our own spirit our spiritual family, that we will be spending not only this life together, but also eternity together. We forgive because we understand that we ourselves are recipients of God's grace and we have been forgiven by Him. So learn to live in grace daily as you interact with each other. Learn to forgive. Learn to repent. You know, learn to Move towards each other. Do not be afraid of the awkwardness, of, of the you know, conflicts. But learn to continue to live in grace as we do so as a family. And that's when we will find ourselves flourishing, thriving as a community. And to know that ultimately Jesus is our cornerstone, that he is the one that rules over us, that he's the one that oversees us, that through him, we have access to Christ, access to the Father, love. So let's look to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity for us to be able to talk a little about the vision of our church, but at the same time to understand from the basic truth of this gospel of what redemption is for each and every one of us and what Jesus has come to do, that he has come to reconcile us to our Father and reconcile us to each other. That there's a vertical relationship that's been restored and also a horizontal relationship that's been restored by Christ. 
that in Christ, all the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down for us so that we can now be at peace with God and be at peace with each other. We can learn to live together as a body, looking to Christ as our cornerstone and looking to our Father in heaven as our Father. So I thank you for what Jesus has done for us and what you have done for us, O oh God, that you have given us this opportunity, given us this gift. And here at Trinity Park, we thank you too that you have brought people from all over the nations to our church, that you've joined all of us together. And you've given us a glimpse of heaven. And so help us, Lord, as a body, as we continue to live together. We have this great opportunity, this great gift that you've given to us. Let us not waste it. Let us learn how to seek each other out. Let us learn how to support each other in our struggles. Let us learn how to communicate with each other, do life together. Even despite of the awkwardness at times, despite of, of the learning curve, despite of, of the conflict that may arose, despite of the misunderstanding, I pray that you would help us come together as a body to look to Christ often, to look to his work as we continue to live in grace, as we continue to live intentionally with each other, as we continue to remind ourselves who we are in him. We thank you and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.